0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, praise God. How's everyone doing this morning? Thumbs up? Jesus is in the house and we're good? Yeah, praise God. I hope you're having a great week. Jesus is amazing. Um, this morning, I want to uh, kind of piggyback off of last week's service, Uh, the sermon I shared last week was, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And we looked at the transition of what, how does it transition? Why did it take three and a half years for the disciples who walked with Him to transition from being servants, those who believed who He was, even the revelation of Peter where He declares you're the Messiah. Some say this about you. Well, there was a transition in their walk both in their belief system and in what they were now doing in their behaviors. Remember, he he was pretty critical of their their behaviors or the lack thereof of some of the things they did, and we went through that. So, there's a transition in the friendship of God. So, this morning, I want to look at the trials that form and test our character. So, I want to pick this apart. Let me ask a question. Do you think it's important to God about your character? Does God, does God care about godly character? Yeah, He, he sure does. And we're going to pick that apart. If you, if you read through the Scriptures, it becomes really, really obvious pretty quick. Um, but let's, um, let me ask this kind of a question. We, we shared last week, if God begins the work, remember that Scripture? Where does it say, God began the work and you will perform it till the day He comes? Philippians one six, right? And I and I gave the analogy. I always like it. I start way over here as a pre Christian, lost, hopeless, come to Christ, and all of a sudden he begins working. He who began the work and all of a sudden he's working, sanctifying. I'm justified right there. But I'm being sanctified as I get washed by the word, as I'm choosing his and he's correcting me, he's disciplining me. And as and I'm not done yet, but when I get all done wow, I'm headed toward the manger, praise the Lord. When he gets done with us, right, it's that place where it says, he performs it until the day he comes. Now, whether he comes for all of us or he comes for you, either way, right, he's performing and working in you. So, the question is, is God is working? In fact, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, he disciplines everyone he loves. We know that Noah was a righteous man and his whole family was spared. Lot was a righteous man. And even spared those that were not so righteous. He said, I'll spare the whole crowd if you'll just give me ten righteous in in Sodom. So, we see that anointing matters. It can be drawn by God. Righteousness matters. Character matters. So, what's first? Was it the character? Was it the anointing? Hmm. It's both. But you can mess this up or you can actually draw the presence of God, I believe, biblically. He, let me give you a couple other scriptures. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? You can, you can actually, because you carry the Holy Spirit, your behaviors, your attitudes can actually bring tremendous grief and sadness to the Holy Spirit. It actually manifests in your life with depression, despair, unbelief, and doubt. It's like, ugh. When you open those doors... There's another scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, don't squelch, don't hold back the Holy Spirit, right? He wants to operate. So, the Holy Spirit is present. We know that anointing matters, but character, behaviors, well, okay. So, is character related to your heart? What's in a man's heart or a woman's heart is what they say, actually, right? So, there's a heart. We know that David was a was a man after God's own heart. So we see that there are those conditions. So let me ask this, does sin and rebellion open the door to discipline? The answer is yes, right? Of course, we see that. So this week, I have people call me that life seems to just be unraveling, (laughs) lost this, broken this, stolen this. It's like, why is God doing this to me, Pastor? Why are you doing this to God? <laughs> Could be a question. Did you open the door to rebellion? See, whenever I come under any form of what I think is an assault, many times, wow, I'm going through spiritual warfare. Maybe. It may be just discipline of God <laughs> because He loves you. He has We can do that. Tom, he's talking, Tom, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. You can choose. Is that biblical? Yes, Deuteronomy 30. Look at your handout, your outline, right there below where Peter speaks. It says, choices that produce life and death, prosperity and disaster. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. He says, all heaven and earth will witness the choices you, you make, the choices you make Heaven is witnessing, in fact, in Malachi chapter 3, it says, there's a scroll of remembrance that's written to those who love God and love to talk about. It. There's a record. We know that every jot, every tittle, every idle word, right? There's a record. It's like, he, if he knows how many hairs are here, he knows when to spread. he's got everything. So, this is, it's both good news and maybe it's not so great news, Right? It says, you can produce life and death and prosperity and disaster in your own life. So when we open doors of rebellion, just like he says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. It's as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. So the, here, I'm, I'm giving these principles because I want us all to be blessed. <laughs> And what would happen if we have a whole bunch of folks who the eyes of the Lord have found because their hearts are for Him? What is going to be the consequence in the house, right? And you can bring that down to the individual, to the greater family, to the larger family, right? And so we want, this message is really good news, even though it's like, let's cut right to the chase. And so is this spiritual warfare because of my rebellion Or is it because I'm advancing the kingdom and the enemy hates me and you will have tribulation in this world because the kingdom is advancing and the violent take it by force. So when we're operating, you know, we're standing on life point or we're we're at this place where we're doing house of mercy or we're doing, there's places where the enemy hates you. But we're there in warfare and that's when the sword's out, right? And we're defending the kingdom and advancing the kingdom. But if I've messed up and I've opened the door... And then I'm wondering why, why is the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying from me now? What do you do with that one? Repent. Get, change the way, repent, get under the blood, cover it up, and then change your behavior, right? So, let me, uh, so what affects, or if character is defined, what makes you unique and different, what is it that impacts and changes or influences your character. Holy Spirit Spirit is a teacher. I want to say one again. What you spend time with, with. because where your heart is, right, is important to you. I want to look at several views and how you believe. It's your belief system that impacts your behavior, correct? So, look at this. I'm probably talking to a large crowd of evangelical Christians. you are bible believing Christians, or you wouldn't be here, or at least you wouldn't stay here <laughs> and so and so your your Bible you have a biblical worldview. You believe that I need to please God. He is at the center, at least I want him to be at the center of my life. That's the biblical worldview that's the way you you when you when you read the scripture, evangelicals read the scripture, it says. Murdering our children is, is a sin, and we're supposed to protect the innocent. Homosexuality is a sin. We love those who are broken in it because sin is sin. Those who are living in adultery, those who are fornicating, those who are hitting porn sites, that's sin. And it's no different than any of these other sins. But we're not going to make allowances for the sin. We're not going to dumb it down. Right? Because the biblical worldview says at the end of this road, you're going to stand before a living God and give an account. Amen. Right? And now you'll be blessed in your day to, daily walk as you walk righteously, but you'll also be blessed eternally if you walk righteously. And so your biblical worldview forms your behavior patterns, and then you adjust to please Him. Well, what if your biblical worldview is satanic? What if you're one of the disciples of Lucifer? that we've come against, right? They want to please Satan. Now, I don't know how they get there, They're so, it's so wild, but if you have that view, guess what? You don't have a biblical worldview, <laughs> you have completely opposite. If you go read the manifesto of the Satanic church, it is frightening and very sad. What about the humanistic worldview? Those who are atheists or agnostics, don't, God doesn't exist. So, a humanistic worldview is it's man-centered, it's human-centered, and therefore, I just want to do worldliness. Let's do good social projects. Let's help everybody out. But he entered this thing, you go to the grave, and it's over. The New Agers and the humanistic views, right? Well, how about the narcissistic worldview? I love me, it's all about me. It's me. No, it's not about you. (laughs) The narcissist loves themselves, so it's all about self-pleasing. Whatever comes and evolves, everything revolves around me. And so, there is, depending on your worldview, it actually gives you the motivation to whom you're going to please. Or what's the desire to please? So, becoming to that place of understanding your worldview is really important. That's why we continually emphasize this is the word of truth. This is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father, right? And so, that biblical worldview, it shapes us. It's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? All Scripture is given and is inspiration of God to correct us, right? Second Timothy 3.16. Read this, and this it actually starts to read you, and then you realize, ooh, I used to read that like, oh, my Lord, right? Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be renewed by the Word. Okay, so look at your outline. I want us to turn, if you will, to 2 Peter. Just before Peter is martyred, he writes this letter. Second Peter in verse, in chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 3. This is written around AD 65 to 68, just before he is murdered by Nero. And he writes this as a. And, and you, if anybody had God working in him, right, I used this example last week of Peter. <laughs> Peter was one of those that just needed a lot of work, <laughs> just like me and many others. Right? So, what does he say? Let's start this. Peter writes in verse 3, according, King James says, according to His divine power. New Living Translation says, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Well, let's stop right there. The devil made me do it. I didn't have any choice. Oh, no. No, you, you went along with it. His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. So, we've received it by knowing Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of this marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises. Think about this. These promises that you now have in your heart, they enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So, you've been given… He enables you to live a godly life. By His promises, you're motivated, right? If you know by your biblical worldview, at the end of this thing, you're going to stand before Him. So, that fear and trembling is, He loves me, and He's a righteous God, and He's a good Father… But at the same time, there's a judgment day coming, right? It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, right? So, there's this place. Do you want to meet him with Jesus at your side as your lawyer who's paid the price? Or do you want to meet him by yourself? No, no. That's why, ooh, glory to God. He's a high-paid lawyer. He did it. He paid the price. Right? And now we pay the price because we, we surrender. I'm getting electrocuted right now. He likes that. And so he is. He's awesome. And so we, let's read on. It says, He's enabled you in view of this, verse five, in view of what? All the promises, all the divine power, everything He's done, His glory. In view of all this, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. King James says, and besides this, what? Besides all the promises and the enablement, give all diligence. What kind of diligence should I add? It starts out with, make every effort, supplement your faith. So, this thing starts with faith. Jesus, you know my testimony. When I get saved, I've surrendered. Man, I don't know anything. I am a mess. My wife will testify. I was a mess, and yet the Lord kept working on me and working me. All the bumps and bruises and disciplining, still working on me. He's working, even though I don't see Him working. He's working, right? And so He's working. And it gets to this place that says, "Make every effort to respond to the promises. Supplement that faith that started. He began the work in faith with the generous provision of moral excellence." Make a general, make every effort in your moral movements of God and your behaviors and what you do, take every effort into that moral excellence. And then he goes on and there's a progression. Once you keep working the moral excellence of your character, choices, add knowledge, become more and more knowledgeable about the Word. In your biblical worldview, study the Scriptures, read it, get get this in your heart, because this will cleanse you, the power of the Word. In Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living power, and it's able to cut between the soulish realm and the spiritual realms, right? So as you get more and more, it says, the Word is washing, I have now washed them by the Word, Father, He says. Your Word has cleansed them, right? That's what was part of the, trans- the transformation during the three and a half years. How did they become the friends of God besides doing just servanthood? They were washed by the word. And then he says, I breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so this is that place where add to that knowledge, become knowledgeable, but also add to knowledge, self-control. God, I need help with this one. I know it's like my wife said, You need more self-control. <laughs> I know she's right. I don't like her telling me that. <laughs> oh well. See, I don't even get grace. Okay. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, self-control, patient endurance. Can you endure patiently, or do you lose your temper? Do you get angry? Do you get bitter? Do you get frustrated? We were watching, I don't know about you, we watch. Everybody Loves Raymond. That show, my gosh, because there's so much real truth sometimes. And I had had a little outburst or something and my wife said, you know, you really like Raymond. I said, I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, I went to my room, and I came, I came out later, and I said, That wasn't very nice. (laughs) Go to your room. Anyway, it's like, I'm just being transparent, it's like, and you know what? When the Holy Spirit revealed, He goes, you really are like Raymond in a lot of ways. (laughs) And I'm like, oh Lord, then then who's like Marie and Deborah? (laughs) Anyway, I'll just leave that there. Okay. Because I'm not going to be judgmental in any way. Okay. Patient endurance. Godliness, add to your patient endurance, godliness. To godliness, but brotherly affection, and then love for everyone. Do you see the maturity of that walk in the characters? And so, Peter, of all people, who has always suffered with hoof and mouth disease, right? He was always putting his foot in his mouth. And there were times when he was just getting out of the boat and walking with God. And, and then there was other times like, oh boy, Peter, right? And so… Peter could write this because he lived it, and just before he died, he was imparting to us the revelation of truth. I have all these promises, that's why I left my fishing business and I'm about ready to be martyred for the God that I love because I know Him. I was there on the mountain and I saw Him with the Father, I saw Him. You can't tell Peter it wasn't true. He had surrendered all at that place, and now he says, I want you all to be able to walk into that place yourself. And so, when you look at the number, I've listed 10 in the outline here. So, who are some examples that are in Scripture of people who had started their journey, had godly character, and those who did not? And then, what was the consequences? Because guess what? Your choices will produce curses or blessings, prosperity or disaster. That's what he said, right? If you walk, so we know, I've already shared with King Saul, he had everything and then lost it. David didn't have too much to begin with, the little shepherd boy on the outs, but guess what he did have? He had a heart after God. He would sit out, he wrote the Psalms, and he would sing to God. He's out there guarding the sheep, right? Did you notice he wasn't a shepherd over goats? And yet, I was wondering, there's no goats in our manger, at our farm, we had goats. There, we don't have goats anymore, okay? They've all been taken care of. And so, why? Because there's sheep and there's goats. And this idea about trying to sing to goats, it, no, it's, it's sheep. And so, David was out there singing to God and meditating and taking care of the sheep. Fighting a bear, killing a lion, learning how to fight so he could take on his next assignment, which would be Goliath. Well, how about Jonathan? I shared this last week. Saul's oldest son, Jonathan, who was heir to the throne. But because of his covenant love and his understanding of the knowledge of God and the revelation of the anointing of God on David, he said, it's not me. In fact, I will be your armor bearer so that you can be the king. He actually goes against his father. Saul tries to kill his own son, but yet he was a responsible son. He actually goes to war with his father when he wasn't supposed to, and he dies in battle. And you know the story at that point when Jennifer Costell came here, right? And they found one of the sons that was still alive, Jonathan's offspring, and brings him to the table. Well, we're going to look at this guy Doeg, the Edomite. He's actually a he he worked for Saul. He was a ruthless man. And he watched David when he was running from King Saul. And when David goes to hide out, he actually goes to the place where one of the priests is there. And of course, they don't have an all points bulletin that Saul puts out that says, enemy number one is David, let's find him and kill him, they don't have it. So he goes to Abathar the priest in the town of Nob, and while he's there, David is hungry, he's unarmed, he's being hunted, and he goes to the priest and he says, do you have any food? The priest says, we don't have any bread, all we have is the bread of the, 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 bread of the presence, the, the formal bread set aside in the altar. It's the showbread, and it's that place where the priest says, are your men in defilement? Have they been immoral? No, I don't allow that. When they're in campaign with me, those men must be walking in righteousness. You can read it in 1 Samuel. And he says, in that case, the bread of the, the presence can be used for your substance here. Now, that's a non-religious spirit, <laughs> Right? It's kind of like on the Sabbath where it was unlawful to, to do any harvesting, and yet David's disciples are hungry, and they're picking wheat, and he says, you're violating the Sabbath. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What are you talking about? Right? And so, we see here that he gives them the bread, and he says, well, do you have a sword? He says, the only sword I have is Goliath's sword which David took and cut off his head with, right? He cut off the king, the, the, the giant's head with. He says, I'll take it. It's, there's none like it. So what does the priest do? He feeds them out of the substance of the presence, and he gives them the armor. And what happens? The Edomite, Doeg, the Edomite, the pagan, watches David go there. He goes and tells Saul. Saul comes to the priest and says, are you aiding and abetting this terrorist? he goes, what are you talking about? He's married to your daughter. He's the second in command. He's fought on the battlefields for you. What are you talking about? He, I didn't know anything about that. He's innocent. And Saul turns to his men, the Jewish men. He says, kill this priest and all of them. And they refuse. We're not touching God's anointed. Boy, there's a character. So, then he turns to the pagan. He says, you do it. And the Doeg, the Edomite, comes out, kills 85 priests, even in their garments. And then he says, now go to their homes and their village and kill their entire families, all their children and their wives, wipe them all out. And that's what they do. That's what he does. You talk about the consequences of that sin, the innocent blood now. One son of Abathar escapes, and that is a priest, and that is Ahimelech. So he escapes with the high priest's ephod. So he just so happens, he gets with David and he's escaped. He's the only priest now dressed in the high priest's garment. He has, all, he has the thuman and the Urim. They, they use that for talking to God. Should I go and fight, should I not? It was that Old Testament. Remember, they didn't have the Holy Spirit presence in them, indwelling. So there was that place. So having a priest who hears from God and asking God. You can see this in 1 Samuel. Should I fight them or not? And, and the high priest said, yes, you should. And so, God again is able. Just like Pastor Willie said, it may look like things are really a mess. Trust Him. So, we look at the character of these different things. Nabal, let's let's turn there. Turn with me to 1 Samuel back around twenty Let's go there. And we'll, you can, I would suggest you unpack this. I read this in detail this week several times just trying to get down what is the godly character and the blessings that followed it or the unrighteous character and the cost that happened as a result of unrighteous character. It'll do something. It'll, it'll, it'll motivate you in a way that just brings you deeper into that presence. So in um, 1 Samuel 19, Saul tries to kill David. His wife, Michael, Saul's daughter saves David's life. Then Jonathan in chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan saves Saul's uh, David's life, commits this commitment. We, we went into that in detail last week. And in fact, in verse 30 of that chapter, Saul is so angry at Jonathan for helping, he calls him a, a really ugly name, you stupid son of a whore. That's in the word here. All right? Verse 30, it says, So, he hates Jonathan for helping him. Don't you realize you're going to be the king, but now we got to kill this guy or we know what's going to happen. He's going to become king. Well, Jonathan already knows that God has called him, and he tries to kill his son. So, he tries to kill Jonathan. So, David then in chapter 21, he runs from Saul. Where does he go? Well, he goes to the priest at Ahimelech, which I've talked about, right? He went to this town of Nob. And there, what happens? He gets the bread, he gets the sword, and they, then he has to escape. Chapter 22, this is a really interesting chapter. He goes to the cave of Abdullam. This is an outcropping. It's a place where you can house a lot of people from, without being seen. And there's already numbers of people coming. It says in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, David and Ga- went, left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Abdullam. Soon his brothers and his other relatives were there because it was actually unsafe for David's family. Saul was going to kill his whole family. He actually brings his father and mother there and sets them up with the enemies. Uh, And so what has happened? He goes there and there's 400 cranky men, discontented troublemakers, those who are in debt, those who are discontented, and David becomes the captain of the 400 cranky people. So they don't follow the IRS rules, they don't follow the law, they're in this cave, they're probably hiding out from justice themselves, they've all come there, a bunch of misfits, and David becomes the leader of this. It's amazing what happens in the transition. You read the end of Second Samuel. They become, those 600 now, they go from 400 to 600, they become David's mighty men. There's something about godly leadership that leads a people that are broken and discontented and they get a hold of destiny and they, I'm getting zapped again, and so there's this thing about when you're, that's why covering matters, because you're going to be influenced by the covering. That's why who leads a nation matters, right? And so... This is why, and who you represent in that nation matters, right? And so, these cranks become the part of the glue. They actually become the mighty men. He lists like thirty-three of the mighty men. They stand in the bean field and kill eight hundred with one sword at one time. It's like, who are these? Because they came under the anointing of a godly leader whose destiny was called by God. You will do things. When I go with Randy Clark or Bill Johnson or Leif Hedlin, when we go to the nations. The anointing that is over that apostolic leader flows down. (laughs) That's why those who do deliverance in this house, it flows down, right? And so, there's something about that flow down, and they become greater than they would have been because of the choices they made to stay with David (laughs) when many would have left. And so, there's this thing where, oh, wow. You'll find out later. It's like, wow. So, we go on. It says, Then he goes to chapter 24, David spares Saul's life. I've already mentioned this. He does it several times. Then Samuel dies. But I want you to look in 1 Samuel 25. There's two characters that are listed here. One is amazing, Abigail. She's a hero of mine, (laughs) like a Deborah. But she's married to a really tough dude, Nabal. Nabal is a crude and mean man. In fact, he is a very abusive husband. He, there is nothing, there's nothing in Scripture that's good about Nabal. In, if you look at that in verse 2, it says, David moved to the wilderness area, and there was a wealthy man from my own who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and their sheep were herding all the time and shearing all the time. The man's name was Nabal. Abigail, his wife, was sensible wise, and beautiful. But Nabal, the descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in every dealing. This guy's a real loser, okay? He's wealthy, but he has a mean-spirited heart. So his character is really foul. Now, it turns out David and his men are parked near there, and the raiders don't come. They're actually protecting the flock, and yet David, can you imagine trying to feed 600 men, 400 in this cave, and plus? There's a, you need a lot of groceries for that, right? And so, it doesn't say where the provision came from, but he David refused to let them steal from Nabal, even though they were protecting his flock. And so, what happens? He sends 10 men, he goes go to Nabal the shearing time, can we have some of the sheep, and can we have... and Nabal gives him a hard time, and says, I'm not giving you anything, you get nothing. David gets into a real rage, and says, I'm going to kill this guy. And he's on his way, and one of the servants of Nabal knows that David got rebuked, his men got rebuked by, this, by his leader, and so what is, he goes and tells Abigail, your husband screwed it up again. And she says, oh my goodness, (laughs) load up the counter, get the stuff, get me all the, loads up the groceries and goes to find David. And when he comes to David, the humility on this woman, the wisdom on this woman is really quite incredible. We could learn a lot from that. It says, let's pick up in verse Let's see, I like... Yeah, in, Abigail intercedes for Nabal in verse 23. So chapter 25, verse 23. Says, when Abigail saw David, so what she does is she loads up all the groceries and heads out, and Abigail gets to David and says in verse 25, I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him, David. He's a fool. Just as his name suggests but I never even saw the young man that you sent. Now my Lord, hear the humility here? As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let your, all your enemies and those who try to harm you as you be accursed as Nabal is cursed. Wow. And here's what I present to you, your servant. I have brought you and your young men, please forgive me. I have offended you in any way. She takes ownership. The Lord will surely reward you with lasting dynasty. There's a prophetic word. For you are fighting for the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. So she's prophesying to him, right? So she takes this rage of the murdering spirit and the anger that's on David and says, my Lord, don't mess this up. Your destiny is so much bigger than this. I know it. I see it here. And it turns David's heart. And so, he says in verse 33, "'Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow. David accepted the presence. "'Return home in peace. I have heard what you have said. I will not kill your husband.'" When Abigail arrived home, he found that Nabal was throwing a big party, celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. So he didn't she didn't she's a wise woman. She doesn't tell him in his drunken stupor, right? She waits till he sobers up in the morning. He was very drunk. She didn't tell him anything about the meeting with David until dawn of the next day. So now he's got a hangover and he's hearing about David's gonna do what? In the morning when Nabal was Sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, the ball has a stroke. You think God can handle stuff? <laughs> he can handle it. Right? Now, in a week later, he's dead. And so he has a stroke, he dies. When David hears that, what does he do? He sends he sends for Abigail to come, and he marries her. He marries Abigail. He goes, and guess what? So, she went from understanding the destiny on David's life to becoming very part of it and and, and gives sons to David. So, it's amazing how God, again, character matters. Character matters. It really does. We see that. All right, let me Kind of circle in on this one. So, we look at Abigail. We look at Nabal. We look at the priest Ahimelech who's spared, the son of all the priests that were murdered. And then all the discontented men there, number nine. But I want you to see, I just listed, I could have listed so many. How about Peter? How about James? How about Paul, who was Saul? Remember Saul? He's religious, thinks he's doing the right thing. He's met on the road, and Jesus says to him, Saul, soon to be Paul, Saul, why are you coming against me? Why are you kicking against the goads? Why do you persecute me, Saul? Here's the religious man, thinking he's doing God's will, killed Stephen, arrests Christians of the way. And God says, now this guy, he's got a religious spirit, he's zealous, but he's way off track. And then you know the story. He becomes Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament. So he changed the way he, he repented. Well, it's one thing if you're blinded, sitting there for three days, blind, and wondering, oh boy, I'm, I'm done. And he says, no, I'll send a prophetic person to pray for you, you'll get baptized in the Holy Ghost and the scales will fall off your eyes and then I'll tell you what you're going to go through for me. And he does. And so we see that. How about Elizabeth, Zechariah, Rahab? I shared about Rahab last week. Mary Magdalene, the woman who they say was a prostitute who was demonized with seven demons. When we look at the character change of those who come to the biblical worldview, and surrender to that place, God says, I can work with that. Right? Isn't there a commercial right now? It's the spectrum. I I can work with that. I don't know why that came. Anyway, God's working with you. He's, all he's looking for is surrender. And when you realize there's such beauty in the surrender, if we would really get a hold of this, if we were just like, duh, if we would walk in these character choices, we would be blessed. And if we won't, you won't be blessed. So why do we keep making those choices that don't bring blessing? It's like, ah, oh, man. Lord, help us. We need help. (laughs) So, Lord, I just want to close with this. Two scriptures that talk about character. Turn with me to Romans 5. In Romans 5, Paul writes to the church at Rome, and when Daniel and Alicia did this, it was such a great study of the whole book of Romans. There's so many amazing truths out of here. In Romans chapter 5, let's begin in verse 3. We can, in other words, it's optional, <laughs> we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. You have a choice. For we know that they help us develop endurance. Why do I need endurance? God, I just want you to bless me. been there. I've cried that one. And endurance develops strength of character... And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You ever met some of these old-time saints who've been through the spiritual wars? They carry the bruise and the scars. They know some things. <laughs> they know some things, Pastor. <laughs> uh, Pastor, let me tell you, it's going to be all right, Pastor. <laughs> Oh, Lord, thank you for the old time. What, what is it? They've, been, they've, they've worked on their endurance muscles because their character is already rooted in what is they know to be truth. They've been through the spiritual war, and they know what He does. And when they impart that to us and they pray for us in intercession, that's why we're not to be alone. That's why we're in family, right? So it's that place where that strengthens our confident hope of salvation, And with this hope, verse 5, it will lead us not to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. So, rejoice in your trial. You got a trial going on right now? (laughs) Are you complaining or are you rejoicing? I'm preaching to Tom right now. Help me, Jesus. Okay. One more scripture. First Peter one six. Go back to that one. P- that First Peter. First Peter one six. So the book he wrote before Second Peter, he says this. First Peter w- chapter one verse six. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though, even though, you may endure many trials for a little while these trials will show here's your test here's the character test did you pass or did you fail because if you fail you're probably going to go around that mountain again right you get a retake he doesn't grade this on a curve right it's it's you got to go around and you got to get 100 on this one the trials will show that your faith is genuine it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith, it's far more precious than gold. You know, when we look at, in fact, he says that you should evaluate a person based upon their faith, not based upon all their stuff, what they do or what they have. And so, the trial will show that your faith is genuine. It's really precious to God. So, when you pass a faith test, it's like, I don't know if you get, you know, we get to heaven, there's all these rewards. He talks about rewards in heaven. Are you going to get a campaign badge? I remember my dad, when he's in the Marines, he's got, he's got all these jewels in the crown, right? Um, I don't know. He says, we're going to rule and reign with him. Some of us might have that planet that's way the heck out there and who knows what. Yeah, you take care of that one out there, right? And I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... It says, you will rule and reign with him, right? And then there's these rewards. Do you get a campaign badge? For you went through this trial, and you got this trial, and the Holy Spirit, when you stand before Him, we ever see these generals that are wearing all this spaghetti on them, right? <laughs> the, the hat's got spaghetti all over it and gold, and they got all got so many things they are walking like this, right? right? What is that? They've been through a lot. They've been through a lot. And so, there's something about the spiritual war that we're in that He tests us and He forms us. So, today's message, I'm going to finish here, is really... This choice in this season. What a great time to set aside, Lord. I I know that I've got some character flaws. I don't want to be like Raymond. I don't want to be like Raymond. When I watch it now, it's like, oh Lord, I think, the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my wife doesn't like my theatrics, but I, I'm just telling you how he works with me, and so, and so. You could be like Raymond's dad. That's even worse. <laughs> oh, my Lord, that guy. Hallelujah. The, the reason it was such a successful show, there's so much truth in it, even though it's a satire, on our self-centeredness, all the craziness of manipulation, control, judgments and family, drama. I mean, there's just a lot of truth in there. Oh, Lord. Anyway, so let's... Uh, Let's stand. I'm going to ask if uh, our worshipers could just come up and do a little bit of keys and <laughs> <laughs> you're not mad at me. No. <laughs> okay? <All right. laughs> Later, I'll be. Yeah, no lunch. That's great. <laughs> oh no, she's so awesome to me. I'm really okay. So let's um, let's just quiet it for a moment and just close your eyes. And what is it that the Holy Spirit wants you to glean from today? I know that He puts His finger on areas of our um, areas of our life. That one, He He doesn't want you to be guilted or ashamed. That's never His desire. When he disciplines us, it's always for redemption to draw us in closer, right? And so if, if you're in rebellion and you know that that rebellion is coming to that place of where you're being disciplined, then just turn. Turn from the rebellion. So, Lord, I just pray right now, Father, as you speak to your hearts of your people. Speak to the heart of your people, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you love us and that you gave us so many wonderful examples and bad examples in the scriptures that teach us truth. And so, Lord, we want to be the mature ones, the the ones who carry the campaign badges of faith-tested warriors. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I want to invite the ministry team, if you'll come. Those listening by live stream, let God do business with you this week. Maybe look at these scriptures that we've looked at in 1 Samuel 20 through 27. And God, I thank you that, Lord, we lift up this week to you, God. I ask that you'd bring divine appointments. Lord, as we meet with our men's group and our women's group, the Christmas party, Wednesday night teaching, House of Mercy Thursday, our Spanish church meetings, God, I thank you. Our Wednesday intercession, Lord, we pray for this nation. We give you thanks this morning, God, for all that you're doing among us here. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody. Come for prayer.